Australia, of course, instead of farming as we have in Western Europe, they have more a sort of ranching style because there isn't so much rainfall and so the cattle have to spread over a much wider area to get, uh, to get, to get pasture. And so what the well, rancher stockman does then is often, instead of fencing in the animals, because the areas are so enormous you'd need a lot of, uh, a lot of fencing, perhaps he'll make a waterhole so that the animal, instead of fencing the animals in, it gives them a reason to stay where they are. And that is a little bit like what God does with us, isn't it? He doesn't fence us in so much, he gives us a reason to be near him. Yeah, and there are no, you know, there's no such thing as wild cows or sheep. There isn't like a republic of self-sustaining sheep somewhere, you know. Wherever you, wherever you go and see sheep, you know, somebody somewhere owns them. Even if you go out sailing like, around the west coast of Scotland and you see a little island with about three sheep in, you know, somebody owns them somewhere. They, they belong to somebody. They haven't managed to swim across from the mainland and set up, you know, uh, set up there themselves. They all belong to someone. You might wander, they might wander away, they might break out, but they don't do very well that way. They don't generally last very long. Usually something nasty will happen to them. They'll fall down, uh, get injured, come a, or, they'll be take, or they'll come across a, even some, uh, some wild animals that, that, can, that don't mind eating raw lamb or something. Now, you might wander away, but that's not where you belong and not where you'll do best. God will call you back. You may not respond, but he'll call you. And we're going to look into that, at a bit more, look into that in a bit more detail later on. Did any of you go away for summer holidays? You had to think a bit, didn't you? Because it seems like a long time ago now for most of us, I think. You know, it's, uh, you've probably been back at work for at least, uh, or been back in Luxembourg or wherever you, wherever you live for a few weeks. And certainly it seems like a long time ago. Um, for me, because I, I was away in Sweden at the beginning of August, and I'd like to tell you about something that happened while I was there. Now, um, I was out one morning. Uh, we were on the island of, of Erland, which is a very long, narrow island in Sweden. And I went out one morning. And I actually, I don't want to suggest this is something I do regularly, but on this occasion, I went out actually for a run, very ambitious. And uh, I... We were staying in a very, very, very small village with about, you know, it consisted of about two farmhouses and another a holiday cottage and a place where I think the bus stopped if there'd been a bus, you know. Um, and the, uh, there were two police cars as I came past one of the houses and I ran off into the, into the woods and... After a few minutes, I stopped to take my breath and um, a police car came up behind me and, to my surprise, the policeman wanted to talk to me. And he said, you know, have you been off the track on your run? I said, no, 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 I haven't, haven't been off the track. He said, right, because there's a, an, old, an old fellow who's disappeared. 
said, oh, that's, that's a pity. He said, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's gone. So do you mind turning around and going back home now? Because we're about to take the dogs out and your scent might confuse them. And, uh, you know, he, he meant it in... <laughs> I have to say, I didn't... <laughs> I didn't at all take offence with this, you know, because he'd asked, uh, he'd asked so politely and, uh, and this sort of... I certainly didn't want to stand in the way of the police by, you know, continuing my run. I was able to change my plans in that. Well, in fact, I planned to turn back at that moment anyway. Uh, now, this... Um, you can imagine, I was interested to hear about this man who'd disappeared. He'd, he had some sort of home help who'd come the previous evening and hadn't found him at home, and he'd wandered off, and there was quite a, a big search for him. This was on a Thursday morning when I found out about this, and the, uh, they brought in helicopters to search. There was certainly a dog team there that was brought over from the, from the mainland, and there's even a sort of um, militia reserve that was called out on the island with... Uh, and I saw the um, reserve soldiers in the camouflage gear looking for this man. And the slightly strange thing is, there's been no sign of him at all, as far as I can tell. I've checked the Swedish newspapers since I got back, and the search was called off on the Saturday evening, and apparently there's no sign of him. The man just disappeared, wandered off somewhere, and... No, that's all anybody knows, more or less. Now, I don't want to um, say a word against the Swedish police, who are a fine body of men and women, uh, and do an excellent job. And as I've already made clear, I try to cooperate with them in any way I can. But um, God doesn't do that. God doesn't abandon the search for us. God perseveres a lot more in coming after us. He takes more than two or three days. Now, if, uh, if there's one thing I'm going to say this morning, I'm going to talk about perseverance. In the word we heard from Galatians, it says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I'm going to talk about persevering, not being weary of well-doing, and taking the harvest in its time. Because, you know, there's a moment when things are at their best in life. Things don't continue to get better indefinitely. And I'll give you a little illustration of what I'm talking about. Again, from my... This is actually from my garden. I went out early this morning, at least I thought it was early, and I... Got these little chaps off my grapevine, and uh, I've been wondering for about the last two weeks or so if it was time to if it was time to harvest the grapes yet. And when I saw them, this little bunch this morning, I was convinced because there was a little chap down at the bottom who'd gone brown and was obviously overripe, and that's the point I'm making. They don't continue to get better indefinitely. There's a moment to pick the fruit, if it's fruit you're harvesting, or it'll go rotten on the bough. But I think these boys were just about ready. And do you know, I think the musicians have done such an excellent job this morning. I think we're going to let them have some. I'm sorry. 
there aren't enough for everyone, but you can, uh, we, can, we can start there. Right. What do you think? Should I have left it a bit? Or? Yeah, I think they're, they're just about right. But as I was saying, things don't get better indefinitely. I was driving home last week, and I was along the road, some of you may know, just near Bisson by the milk factory. And I had a sudden shock. It was as if there was a sort of explosion. Something hit my windscreen suddenly. I thought, what on earth was that? And I thought, is it some ice that had dropped from an aircraft? I thought, no, that would go straight through. You know, it would go straight through the windscreen. It would, um, could it be um, that I'd hit some some animal, it didn't seem like that at all, or hit a bird, it didn't seem like that. I thought, you know, if it had been a different time of year, I'd have thought perhaps children had thrown a snowball, but even in Bisson, we don't get snow in September, you know. um, And uh, I was uh, really, a couple of minutes after that, I, I got home and I found there was a sort of white matter on the windscreen, some sort of whitish material, but I couldn't work out what it was. My neighbour was outside and I explained to him what had happened and where it had happened, and he couldn't think either what it was. So, um, anyway, I went, into, I went in and uh, Marie-Louise and I were sitting and uh, having our supper, and the doorbell rang. I went, I went down and it was my neighbour. He said, it's a pear. You're right. I'd, I'd had a pear strike. Uh, <laughs> there was a pear tree along the road, and by a strange coincidence, the pear had dropped down and hit the windscreen just at the second I was, I was driving past. But unfortunately, obviously, a pear that's ripe enough to fall off the tree by itself is obviously not very hard, at least uh, these, these ones weren't. But... Um, Things don't continue to get better indefinitely. There's a moment when things are ripe to be, to be picked. And if you miss the moment, it's not so good. This is something that we find pretty much every year, actually, is that there's something in the garden that we, we seem to miss when we go on holiday. And it doesn't matter too much for fruit in the garden, but it's very important if the thing that reaches the right moment and you miss it is God's ministry in your life. That does, that does matter. Do you remember, I'm going to ask you to cast your minds back now, do you remember when I spoke in January about Nehemiah and the building of the city wall against around Jerusalem? Yeah, there were one or two, one or two faint glimmers of recognition there, I see. And uh, I ask you to imagine the wall around Jerusalem, built of great blocks of weathered stone, probably burned. And ask you to think how strange it would look if there was a gap about two-thirds of the way up the wall. Because God is building a temple today out of living stones. And that's, that's us. We're the stones that God has to, do, to build with. There's a function that only you can carry out. In this church, perhaps in some other church, only you can do it. There's a job that you have to do, and if you don't, it won't be done. There is no plan B. So... That's why we should be aware, uh, beware of thinking that we've already done enough. As I've said, we can't see things from God's viewpoint. 
and perhaps with the advantages each of us has got, we should be doing even more. Not looking at the person in the next seat and thinking, well, I do much more for God than she does. Uh, that's, uh, that's probably not how God sees it. What's God looking for? Some of you have heard this before, I know. God is looking for fat people. Yeah, some of you look encouraged there. But uh, that was... Um, what do I mean by fat people? People who are faithful, available and teachable. And some people put another T in there as well, team player. We have to be faithful in the, in the work that God has given us. Um, one Sunday recently, for instance, I arrived late. And I didn't set up the book table at the back. I thought, oh gosh, it's 25 past already when I came. I couldn't be bothered to, to do it. Um, and there was uh, actually somebody who wanted to buy something that day. And I thought, oh, this is, this is terrible. I've got this, um, this ministry to do. If everyone acted like that, we would really be in trouble. We should be faithful in what God has um, prepared for us um, to do. And available as well. You've probably heard it said before, God isn't looking for your ability, but for your availability. You know, it's like the parable of the two sons in the Bible. Do you know the story of the two sons where uh, a man asks each of his sons to go and work in his, in his vineyard and uh, one of them said he would go and work in his father's vineyard and didn't. I always imagine him like lying on the sofa watching MTV, you know. And, uh, and the other one refused to go and then finally did go and work in the vineyard and the question is which one did his father's will? Obviously the one who first said he wouldn't and then did go to do. But when God gives you a job to do, that's not like his way of inviting you to identify somebody who you think could do it better. Your obedience is part of the equation. Why does God use us to do things instead of angels, say? Is it because we do it better? Or is it partly for our sake too, so that we can be able to serve God and obey and teachable. You know, somebody who doesn't know very much, doesn't know much about the Bible, doesn't know much about the things of God, can always learn. There's hope for them. Somebody who already thinks he knows it all is beyond all help. You, know? There's, uh, you have to be teachable and ready to learn about the things of God. I'm thinking of Ezra, the prophet, who prepared for the building of the wall. When I spoke before about Nehemiah, I said he was the greatest project manager in the Bible because he got the wall built in 52 days. Part of his secret was that the way had been prepared already for him by the faithful ministry of Ezra, and Nehemiah knew that. What did Ezra do? It says in the book of Ezra, Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. So he did three things. He found out about the law of God, found out about the word of God, studied it himself. He did it. He was devoted to its observance as well. He applied it, put it into practice. And he taught it to other people. 
and that's the that's the order. He had to learn, do, and teach others. And I want to have the last T as well. Team player. We depend on each other. You know, Nehemiah, as I said, this great project manager who built the wall in 52 days, when it was the time to dedicate the wall, they had the ceremony to, uh, where they paraded around the wall and the service to dedicate it. Nehemiah gave the place of honour to Ezra because he understood that he was able to get it all accomplished. He was able to do so much because of the work that Ezra had done before in uh, studying and teaching the word to the, to the people. Without Ezra, Nehemiah couldn't have undertaken his project of building the wall in 52 days, and Nehemiah understood that. That's why he gave him the place of honour. So we might not all be called upon to teach the word, but we're all called to learn, apply, and to share it with others that we meet, that God puts in our way. Now, I want to come back to the passage from Galatians that we heard before and explain something about it that might, at first sight, sound a bit strange. Because even in these ten verses, it says, at one point it says that... um, Carry each other's burdens, and in the way you will, in this way, you will fulfil the law of Christ. And then later on, it says, um, "Each one should carry his own load." So, what's going on there? What does it mean? Are we meant to carry our own burdens, carry each other's burdens, or not? I'll explain this. When it says, "Each one should carry his own load," what that means is. You have to read that with what comes on later and says that you reap what you sow. Just as, obviously, on my grapevine in my garden, I'm not expecting to go up there and find pears on it. You know, you, uh, a grapevine produces grapes. And we reap what we sow. And when it says each one should carry his own load, that means that we're each accountable to God for the use we make of our lives. It certainly doesn't mean that we just take care of ourselves and not bother about others. On the contrary, we're meant to... One of the duties that God lays on us is to care for others as we're able. And it can be difficult. It's not always easy to work with, work with other people, as you, as you know, because sometimes we have different ideas about, for instance, planning. Um, Do you know there are two kinds of people? I'll explain what the two kinds of people are I'm thinking of. If now, in in September, you arrange something that's going to happen in November, and so you get uh, like a, a day blocked out with something to happen in it, one kind of person will think, oh good, that's sorted. I've got that. That's organised. And I've got that, that lined up now. That day is... Uh, and somebody else will be miserable and think, oh no, I've blocked out that day now. Something else might come along that'll be better. 
and more enjoyable, you know. Uh, for some people, having, um, having things organised a long time in advance is just what makes them happy and uh, gives them strength and uh, enjoyment. And for some people, it's, it's miserable because you're tied down and, you know. Now, I'm not going to say... Uh, which of those is is good or bad, but I can say it, it doesn't take long working with someone before you realise which category they, they fit into, you know, and um, that's, that kind of thing make, can make it, there are other things as well, of course, can make it difficult to work with people, but God wants us to care for each other and assume each other's burdens. I'll give you an example. I don't want to embarrass him, but Phil, who uh, led us in prayer a few minutes ago, it was Phil who noticed that I was, I was originally scheduled to lead the prayers on this day, and Phil was the uh, one who noticed that I was scheduled to preach and to lead the prayers on the same day, and Phil very kindly got in touch and said, uh, to save you having to leave the present to speak on the same day, would you like me to uh, do the present that day as well, uh, that day instead? And of course, I, I said yes. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That we can share each other's burdens, look for ways in which we can make life easier for each other, even in in church. Um, has anyone read this book called The, the Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis? It's one of the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, I think there's, I can see there's one or two. I must have read this for the first time a long time ago. I don't know exactly when, but the price on the back says UK 95 pence, <laughs> uh, which, <laughs> which uh, suggests to me I must have had the book for some time. And... Um, in this, in this book, there's a character called Jill who gets a command, or rather a series of commands called the signs from Aslan, who is the good lion who stands for Christ in these stories. And she's supposed to repeat these commands or signs to herself every night when she goes to bed, but she goes through a series of um, remarkable adventures involving strange creatures, giants, you know, knights on horseback, um, snakes and things and um, she gets distracted and other priorities take over she gets cold and hungry and I'd just like to read you a little passage now, they're in a snowstorm going through a ruined city and uh, it says but it was dreadful to be out on top again down in those narrow slits of trenches their ears had almost begun to thaw They'd been able to see clearly and breathe easily and hear each other speak without shouting. It was absolute misery to come back into the withering coldness. And it did seem hard when Puddle Glum chose that moment for saying, Are you still sure of those signs, Paul? What's the one we ought to be after now? Oh, come on, bother the signs, said Paul. Something about someone mentioning Aslan's name, I think. But I'm jolly well not going to give a recitation here. As you see, she had got the order wrong. That was because she had given up saying the signs over every night. She still really knew them if she troubled to think, but she was no longer so pat in her lessons to be sure of reeling them off in the right order at a moment's notice and without thinking. 
Puddleglum's question annoyed her because deep down inside her she was already annoyed with herself for not knowing the lion's lesson quite so well as she felt she ought to have known it. This annoyance added to the misery of being very cold and tired made her say, bother the signs. She didn't perhaps quite mean it. And I think there's a, an important truth there, the way that um, Jill in the, in the story gets distracted because she's cold and tired and wet and miserable. And that takes her mind off the signs that Aslan, the lion who stands for Christ, has, has given her. And in the end, she finds out that she misses almost all the signs, and uh, the last one that she has a chance of obeying is the most dangerous of them all. And as I say, I think there's some truth there. God knows that we get bored easily, that we think about our own comfort and our priorities. God knows that we sometimes even sit in church on Sunday morning and thinking about what's for lunch. And uh, he knows that sometimes we find that other people are ungrateful for what we do for them. And do you know, I've noticed, sometimes people don't even understand that we are helping them. Sometimes they act as if they're doing us a a favour. But, you know, none of that takes God by surprise. He calls you from where you are. I used to work at one time in the agricultural administration in the... uh, government in Wales and one thing I found out there was about the ever fascinating subject of sheep is that it's very hard to put ear tags on sheep you can put or rather you can put ear tags on sheep but they won't stay on cattle is much easier, cows are much easier you can put ear tags on cattle and there's a good chance that they'll stay on for quite some time but sheep are hard to ear tag, and I think now they've started to chip them instead, you know, put um, uh, chips in with um, RFID tags. Uh, But it was hard to put numbered ear tags on sheep or to keep them on, because sheep stick their heads everywhere, you know, stick their heads in strange places, in uh, hedges, trees, walls, gates, and so on. And... Perhaps we're like that a little bit, you know. Perhaps today God is trying to call you and you find it hard to hear his voice because your head is stuck somewhere inappropriate. Uh, and he will he'll release you, but he needs you to cooperate. Remember, there's a, there's a job somewhere for you that God has prepared for you. I can't tell you what it is, but I can give you an idea about how to prepare for it. If you cannot look at our Lord Jesus Christ and say, my Lord, my God, make haste to know the Lord today. But if you've been a Christian for some time, but the fire has died down, then you have a renovation job. I think many people here will know what Jesus said in Matthew 18 about the lost sheep. He said, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Remember, there's a promise in God's word. At the right time, you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. 
What gladdens God's heart is to see new disciples. He's not willing for anyone to go missing. Have you ever seen a child about a year old that's just starting to walk, just learning to walk? And all the parents and friends and others who are around, they're delighted with almost anything that the child does. Yeah, If he or she gets up, takes half a step and falls over, everyone encourages him, goes, yay, great, marvellous. Um, they don't stand there saying, you stupid child, you know, <laughs> can't you even walk properly, <laughs> you know. Get up, stand up straight, you know. <laughs> no, they even applaud the child's stumbles because the will to walk is there. And I think God is like that with us to some extent. You know, he knows that we do things in a clumsy way sometimes, that we stumble, fall, and that we pull the tablecloth off the table. And as long as the will to walk, the will to please him, the will to do something for God is there, then I think he is pleased with us. I think if you listen carefully enough, you can hear the applause in heaven if, uh, when you try to stand in the place that God has prepared for you. There's something that can only be done from where you're standing. And your reward will be that somebody might come to the Lord that otherwise wouldn't have done so or that somebody who would otherwise have fallen away is encouraged to remain. You remember when I spoke in July? I'm not so ambitious as to go back to January now. You remember when I spoke in July about 1 Thessalonians 5? I said that when Paul, Paul of of Tarsus, uh, not McMinamy, when Paul says always try to be kind to each other, He's talking about Christians. He knew we needed to be told not to be kind to each other, but even to try to be kind to each other. The actual being kind is a more advanced lesson. To start with, we have to want to be kind to other Christians. And as I said, I'm strangely encouraged by this. Now, if you've been listening listening carefully, you'll know that we're coming to a point of transition in the life of this church, that we're only going to be in this room for another another six weeks and I think many of us are going to need some encouragement at some point in the months that come and what I would say to you is try to be one of the ones that do the encouraging rather than one of the ones that needs the encouragement and if you can't do anything else you can encourage somebody else here even just something as simple as saying that it's good to see someone can be, I think, the word that helps somebody to stay on course. That um, is the, a word of encouragement that can make a, a difference. This church proclaims itself as a community of hope for the world, and that's good. There's something that's even better, and that is to be a community of love. And that is something that each of us, I think, can contribute to. Remember, Sheep can wander off, get their heads stuck in strange places, but we can encourage each other. And that is what gladdens God's heart, is to bring people to him or keep them from wandering off.
Thank you.